Irish NFL show. Firstly, thank you for listening to the show. We truly appreciate all our listeners. If you are enjoying the show, please consider rating, reviewing, and subscribing on whichever podcast platform you are listening on. It makes a huge difference. It helps others to find the show, and we would massively appreciate it. Also, reach out to us on social media. We love interacting with listeners and with fans from wherever you are in the world. And with that said, on with today's episode. Welcome into the Irish NFL show. As we reflect on the draft last week and we kind of come into a quieter period of the NFL, we're taking a minute to, I suppose, look back at other teams over the course of the past few months that we haven't had an opportunity to speak. And one intriguing team last season, even this offseason, and even last week in the draft, is the Detroit Lions. Delighted to have Tom Wilkinson join us from the Roar of the Lions podcast based in the UK. Tom, very welcome to the Irish NFL show. Thank you very much. Delighted to be here. It's certainly been an, an interesting few weeks and months. Yeah, this storyline for the Lions probably goes back to when Dan Campbell um, took over. And I suppose we'll get to that in a minute. But just initially, just to talk about your own personal podcast with, with the guys and obviously how you came to be. Everybody has a story. Every time we get someone on, they have a story as to how do you have an affiliation to a team. How did you become a Lions fan? Because, you know, you, you get to know fans and they've been different forwards and their team has been successful. The Lions haven't had the, the best of years. It seems to be evolving and turning turning in, in particular with this division but do you want to give us your background as to how the Lions became your team yeah absolutely so uh, I'm incredibly jealous of people who can form an emotional connection with teams who succeed and do well unfortunately I can't seem to do that so um, I've never been able to support good teams my football team my soccer team is Southampton who were perennially finishing 17th when I was following them so um, I guess when I got into the Lions uh, when I got into the NFL, the Lions, they're a franchise that had a horrible recent history, so we'll tick that box. Um, they did have a young, exciting roster at the time, and they had a player called Megatron. And in terms of enticing you in as a, as a new NFL fan, I was like, sign me up for that pain and misery that's clearly going to be this journey. So, um, yeah, I was immediately drawn to them. I thought there was something quite English about the way they found unique ways to lose or underperform as well, so... Yeah, a, a couple of things there, but I mean, it's definitely been a journey, let's say, but I couldn't bring myself to support a, a Patriots or someone like that. A difficult time for Southampton as well. I think the writing is, is on the wall there. We won't get into Southampton. If you say the Lions <laughs> find ways to, to lose games, you could probably compare them to the English national team, maybe. They always seem to find ways to lose big games and big moments. And Megatron, Calvin Johnson, what a player. What a player. And obviously Stafford was... That was really the time where he was this young, exciting talent who hadn't quite put it together, but it was definitely fun. But yeah, you mentioned the English national team, and that was exactly it. It was it was almost thinking back to those late 80s and 90s Lions teams that did have the talent. They had Barry Sanders and yet still couldn't get over the line. And then obviously with Megatron, etc., and you've got balls being fumbled out the back of the end zone, uh, bad calls, etc. But, uh, but yeah, that's half the fun, isn't it? You don't want it to be easy. No, it certainly doesn't. It's funny... When you think of red zone and you think of the witching hour, and it all seems to be the Lions, isn't it? Good and bad, you know, for, you know, there's some games in which they found ways to win. You think of Matthew Stafford scrambling down the field after connecting for 25 yards to Calvin Johnson, trying to get the ball spiked or the next playoff. And, and it always seemed to be that 8 8.30 window leading into the late in the four quarters where it always seems to be, let's go back to the Lions game. And from a fan's perspective, was the results always haven't been 
gone the right way, it, it must be exciting to, to be in that position as a fan watching the team in that situation. Yeah, absolutely. And like, even if you take Stafford, like I was delighted to see the Rams go and win and him get some of the, the national attention and acclaim that I felt he deserved. Um, he was always, I guess, the face of the Lions and therefore the face of all those exciting but often badly ending games. But he did a lot of good at the same time. And especially in the clutch, he was normally making a play or doing something about it. So, yeah, incredibly exciting. Uh, delighted that he managed to go get a ring. Let's hope that those draft picks we got back will uh, will do the same for us over the next few years. Yeah, I suppose that's probably a good, a good starting point because when the Stafford deal was made that late January, even before the, before the Super Bowl that year in, during COVID, there was a, a reasonably good retort on, on, the, on the, the trade and obviously Jared Goff comes over and a mixed opinion, shall we say, I know he went very high in the draft and originally got the Rams to a Super Bowl, but there's still a very mixed opinion across the league and with fans across Ireland, UK, Europe, in terms of mm. what they really felt for Jared Goff. Some some liked him, some didn't. And when he went into the, the Lions initially, a lot of people felt he was a bridge quarterback, one year, mm. one year situation. New new head coach in, in Dan Campbell. Will they be able to merge together? And here we are now, a couple of years later. And whilst they went for the quarterback, and I know we're going to come to the draft later in the podcast, there's a Hendon Hooker, and he's a project. Like the Lions fans and a lot of fans, they were kind of turning their attention to this Lions team can really progress now under Dan Campbell and certainly under Jerry Goff. Yeah, and I was certainly one of the, the cynical ones when it came to acquiring Goff. I thought it was, I didn't think it was as simple as we were getting extra draft capital to accept his contract. Um, I thought that Brad Holmes obviously was in the room when they drafted him and and he, he did want Goff to be a part of this team. Um, but especially leaving kind of that, that first season with only three wins, I thought we had enough data on Goff to really say we know exactly who he is. Uh, we like we've seen the good, we've seen the bad, but we kind of know where he is. And I'm sure we'll get into last season as well. Fans had pretty strongly turned on him, which is forgotten about now. But halfway through the season, fans were very much against him again. And to be honest, he definitely exceeded my expectations the second half of the year. Now, uh, I still think we were in a good position to draft the quarterback this year, and that not suggests that we're completely out on Jared Goff. Um, but he, he has done a, a really impressive job, especially the second half of this year. And if you look back to his career, he can't necessarily elevate the talent around him. But if you do surround him with talent and Brad and, and the rest of the team have done a good job surrounding him with talent, he can perform to a high level. So I think it's hard to make an argument he wasn't one of the better NFC quarterbacks the second half of last year. We just have to see if he can sustain that because it's all well and good doing that for a few games. And the previous season, he was still better towards the end. But what happens when we're expected to win games? Is he going to be the person who continues to perform at that level? Or is he going to regress a little bit like he did towards the end of his, his Rams tenure? So honestly, it's, it's fascinating as a fan and probably not even as a fan of, of the Lions to see where this is going to go. I had a turning point, and it probably is a, probably a strange one. The turning point for me, and it was very early on with Goff, was when they beat the Vikings and got off, and got off the slide in terms of that first game win that particular season. It was more of the emotion and the celebration. He took his helmet off and he ran directly over to Dan Campbell and they embraced. And there was a few stories going around at the time that they weren't seeing eye to eye. I'm not, not sure entirely whether that was true, but you got a sense from that particular situation, having won that game and the emotion that came at winning that game, because they were losing games in a kind of a manner where they were very unfortunate. They were getting, they were in the games. It was getting tight in the fourth quarter. 
coming down to the last play, maybe one score. You think of that, you know, Ravens game with the fantastic field goal, albeit it was very early on in the season. But they had lost games in manners in which we're saying, you know, if it, if it goes one way, one play here, one play there, we win those games. So that kind of came about. And then they went on a little bit of a run. They, I know they beat the Packers in the last game of the season, put up a, a huge amount of points on them, albeit the Packers were kind of focused on them. Yeah. The playoff game. But you got to you got a sense from the outside looking in, and I'm sure Lions fans probably saw it the same week. There was a slight involvement that I thought things were moving in the right direction, albeit it wasn't reflective of the wins they had that season. Yeah, and I think you started to see some of the young players. Because because if we think about the Lions over the past however many years, we haven't drafted well. And so actually a lot of the talent we're having to acquire is through free agency. We overpay guys, they underdeliver that same old story. And so even though, yes, we didn't get the wins in that first year, we started to see, obviously, Panesu had a great first year. Amon Rasane Brown as a fourth rounder, you can't expect anything like the production he provided. But we started to see some of this slightly more homegrown talent develop. So even though, yes, the wins weren't there, I think as a fan in the offseason, you felt good about the coaching staff, which I probably didn't when they were first signed. I was a bit hesitant. Um, the front office as well, and I wouldn't say Brad Holmes was a buzzy name when he got chosen versus a, an Ed Dodds or someone like that. So um, I think you've got that first year under your belt and you say, this is really what we expected from this first rebuild year. Are there some positives? Yes. Do we still have questions? Yes. But it was it was not a bad place to be as a fan, I would say, after that first year. Last offseason, they go on national TV across the States and obviously we're all privy to that, that show and I'm not, I'm, really, I'm not a fan of the show. I just, for some reason, yeah. I, 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 I take it or leave it. You know, not, not not necessarily because of the teams that are involved, just one of those things I can take it or leave it type of show. But I did enjoy this kind of camaraderie that was being built by Dan Campbell. And he saw the, board, the players, sorry, buy in, in particular, Jamal Williams, the running back. I know, obviously, he's moved on to the Saints now and had a mm. fantastic year, 17 touchdowns last season. But he was kind of leading it in terms of, you know, with the players. And you got a sense, and I remember on the sideline saying, I'm only making things difficult for you because I want you to succeed. I mean, how the team have rallied around him, you know, because people were questioning even initially in that first season when he was the right man for the role. And he touched out there where it was a snazzy GM, a snazzy head coach coming as a tight end coach from the Saints. But how things have changed so quickly with him near now in terms of the structure and how they do things, it's, it's night and day compared to what Lions fans would have been used to previously. Yeah, honestly, it's been awesome as a fan, and especially coming from the the kind of Matt Patricia era, which even from the outside, I'm sure you can appreciate, was not a huge amount of fun as a fan. So um, it, it's been brilliant, and I think it's definitely helped fans steer into the Detroit versus everybody uh, piece, I would say, with a lot of people. And media, I think, admit now that they got it wrong early, just kind of, he didn't help himself, let's say, with the knee-biting comments, but it was very easy for people to make snap judgments. This guy doesn't know what he's doing. He's old school. He's not going to know how to to actually head, uh, coach a team. And I think that's been shown now that he was the right man, especially for these first couple of years. Who knows where we go from here? Um, but it's also, again, when we think about last season, halfway through, we had all these questions still. Is he the right man for the job? Uh, has he got the right coaches in place? I mean, this is a team that was was one and six at one stage with some really kind of awful losses as well. So it definitely hasn't been an easy ride, but I think fans have always appreciated really the, it's the passion, but also the emotion he has. You can tell that when he has to stand up on the podium and, and the team has lost, he takes that incredibly personally. And therefore it's so easy to root for as a fan because you really do believe he has 
the team's best interest kind of at heart. I recall on our show last year, we have a Monday show which we reflect on the games throughout the course of the weekend. And I can't recall, I think it might have been the Vikings, you correct me if I'm wrong, but the Lions went for two points to essentially try to win the game at the end and they, and they succeeded. Yeah. And then I think these Vikes went down and drove down the field um, and scored a winning field goal. And we had a bit of a ding dong on the show because I was opposed to that. I felt yeah. that the game was, the Vikings wouldn't have been as aggressive with that ball at the end, they would have accepted overtime and the Lions would have had an opportunity to win in, in overtime. No, I, I get the merits of why you went for it. Like it's, it. And it's more common in the league. And at that stage, I think people were kind of questioning, is he making right coaching decisions? He moves. And there was a few other play calling uh, situation in the Thanksgiving game against the Bills that looked like that game was there to be won. And the manner how he, he managed the clock towards for, to the end of the first half and, and late in the fourth quarter was questioned. But then they got one. But then you look at the attributes of what the offense has done over the course of the season, and maybe these friends are strong on defense. If if you have put it really, and I think we're going to get to it now in the free agency what they've done in, in the secondary and stuff. Like if there was a really strong defense there last year, they in all likely would have won more games and got to the playoffs. Yeah, and on, on his part in that, I think one of the key differences again when you go back to the previous era, and there are plenty, but it's that accountability is when he made a bad call, he would come out and say, look, that one's on me. I need to be better. Whereas the previous regime, it was always just generic. We need to coach better. We need to execute better. But there was no actual accountability. And so, yes, that helps, I think, us all root for him. But also, it's a, I think as a player, you then you take pride in the fact that you don't want your coach to go up there and have to accept responsibility. You need to go and execute. And you could then see that that kind of camaraderie come together as they started to, to pick games off and, and then start building a run. So, yeah, uh, I think on defense, we definitely needed to make improvements. It was interesting that after we let Aubrey Pleasant go, who was a really hot defensive coordinator named the year before, and I was a big fan of when we brought him in, there was a huge change in terms of what we managed to do on the back end, even with no influx of talent. Um, and as we look to free agency now and what we've acquired, uh, there's definite expectations, I would say, for that defense not to just take a small step forward, but really to be pushing kind of above, let's say, league average, whereas previously it was, can we even get to league average? I think that's the merits of a really strong GM that they recognize where the falls were in that season. And once it was a really good season and like they beat the Parkers in the final game of the season, and yet they don't make the playoffs. And as a fan looking on the outside, frustrated for Lions fans because they wait so long to be in the playoffs. I think the last time was that game was Seattle in the wildcard game with Matthew Stafford. And then you, you, you're right when you say, like, there wasn't a huge influx of players coming in, you know, support, support cast throughout the season. And then they, they've gone into free agency. And I wouldn't suggest that they've been overly aggressive, but yet you look at the players in which they brought in. Gardner Johnson has come in safety. I think a really great season with the Eagles. I was surprised that the Saints let him go last offseason. Cameron Sutton, cornerback. Steen is really impressive. So Emmanuel Mosey, cornerback. And then Akuda gets traded to the Falcons. Not a lot in the tournament, but obviously they've decided that we're going to transition into these new cornerbacks. Did you see the secondary in particular as to the kind of where the flaw was last season? Like up front, up front you got Boggs and Alanoni, and I'll try to pronounce him, Alanoni linebacker. They're, as much as we talk about players coming in, it's also important to make sure you secure the players that were really effective last year. But was it the secondary for you that was really the, the biggest concern? And what they've done this offseason to address that is kind of is superb in a way. Yeah, I think there was two concerns for me on defense. One was definitely the secondary. Um, in terms of 
partly talent, but also just overall, it didn't seem like there was the communication there. There was questions around scheme and we'll come on to who we brought on to address that, which is, which is brilliant. The other piece, which personally, I don't think we have addressed enough and potentially the draft will, will help this, but um, was actually run defense. So you saw obviously Aiden Hutchinson had a great year as a rookie. James Houston, who was buried on the practice squad for the first half of the season and really stepped up. So that pass rush took a step forward. But the game which we we lost during that run was against the Panthers, where they just ran all over us. And Bugs had a really nice year. I'm glad we brought him back. But have we done done enough to to kind of shore up that run defense? I'll be interested to see. But yeah, I, I don't think we were over aggressive or overpaid necessarily in free agency, but we were definitely more active than I expected us to be in a great way. Interesting. I know we're going to come to the draft. You talk about run defense. Project Martin has been brought in late in the third round. Um, I was actually some now. I was looking at it from the from a Giants perspective because Giants' f- fundamental flaw last year was run defense as well. Yeah. And he looks like the kind of guy that'll pick you up and show you back five yards the other way. He looks like a serious player. And so a player that was mentioned in the second round by quite a few people goes in the third round. But again, I suppose to your point, that's the kind of player that they, they recognize that can come in and make it potentially make a contribution straight away to one of the other fundamental flaws, which is run defense. So you're going to give the GBA, the GM his credits, I would imagine, on the back of the of the, of the draft last week and most of the free agency. Any concerns around the cornerbacks that have come in, like in terms of why they, why other teams were aggressively going after them? Because the Cameron Sutton surprised me how quickly he got picked up. I thought he was a player that would have had a lot of suitors and... Mm. Uh, a sizable offer like we, they didn't go overly aggressive that's what surprised me it wasn't like these guys were saying I'm going to Detroit because there's a massive contract on the table yeah. here appreciate it probably buying into the project that's a hand potentially and I think that's one of the things that even if like I say we'll go back to Matt Patricia but even before that I mean Detroit is not it's not a um, well let's say you potentially have to pay a bit of a tax to get people to come here versus a Florida for example let's be honest yeah. so the fact that we have guys who clearly wanted to be here is a testament to the culture they they built. And the second piece, so is, if we take Cam Sutton, for example, a, a player I've been a fan of for really since he came into the league, and I think was a really smart signing, at a still pretty reasonable price for a guy who's expected to take a lot of reps on the outside. Um, a theme of this um, front office in general has been one-year deals. And I think when you combine someone like Cam Sutton, who you've got for three years and you've got a bit of stability, but you also take these flyers on a guy like Emmanuel Mosley, who's coming off an injury, but has the potential to be a really good starter. And obviously CJ Gardner-Johnson as well, who had that previous relationship with with Dan Campbell, with Aaron Glenn, but is on a one-year deal. And it's another theme of this front office that we are giving people a chance to try and succeed here. And realistically, if you think about Mosley or Gardner-Johnson, if they perform really well, there's a good chance they're not here next year because we can't pay them. So it's kind of this, you have to accept that part of it at the same time. And when we signed those players, a lot of mock drafts and media drafts had cornerback completely off the table. And it's like, well, no, next year we might be in almost the same situation we are going into free agency this year, where especially now with the CUDA moving on, but that was still TBD, you had Cam Sutton and then maybe Jerry Jacobs, but you don't necessarily have that debt. So they do a really good job of bringing in talent on one-year deals. And then that's a really an agreement with the players. If you if you show up, you turn up, and you get a bigger contract elsewhere, then all the best to you. But we're giving you the opportunity to do it as well as benefiting our team. 
what's your thoughts on the offensive line? Is that something that concerns you? Because it's been a, a quite a, I wouldn't say a lot of movement in the offseason, but you've got Graham Glasgow returning, having mm-hmm. been there previously. We were fortunate to have him on the show a, a couple of years back when he was with the Broncos. And he spoke highly of his time there, not necessarily to coach his staff at the time, but yeah. he spoke of his enjoyment of playing with the Lions. You've got Evan Brown who's gone to Seattle and mm-hmm. Nelson, Nelson's been kept on. Like, interchanging, I suppose, essentially in some positions. But is that is that a concern for you that this will it'll take time to gel again? Or do you think they can do enough in, in training camp to kind of make sure, I suppose, it's fruitful come the start of the season? Yeah, I think our, our first five, I guess, our starting offensive line has the potential to be a top five line in the league. Um, so in terms of from a talent standpoint with our starters, it's incredible. And I think a lot of what we're trying to build, if you look at what we did in the draft and elsewhere, is to take advantage of that. At the same time, I would say that the depth is probably not where we would like it to be. Um, obviously, in the short term, getting someone like Graham Glasgow in here is brilliant. And we've got some some backup there. Obviously, we drafted uh, a guy from William & Mary in the fifth round who hopefully will be providing some depth. But I'd say if we were to lose Taylor Decker or, or Penny Sewell, we don't feel great about our, our swing tackle depth. And what we've seen even kind of on our side over the last couple of years, but we see across the league is it's rare for that starting five uh, week one of the season to make it through. And the Lions certainly haven't had that. Evan Brown, I think, was one that fans soured on towards the end of last year because he maybe didn't perform how they were hoping. But as a starter at center the year before, replacing Frank Ragnall, he did an incredible job. And I think people are probably underestimating the impact he can have being able to really put him anywhere across the interior line in case someone goes down. So it's one of those which if everything breaks out, if everything works out perfectly great, I think we're going to have one of the best lines in the league. But all you need is one tackle to go down, maybe kind of Jonah Jackson's go down on the left side and suddenly things start to look a bit thin. Yeah, it's not the snazzy picks, but it's the... It's the trenches and it's, I suppose, it's the forefront of the game. I saw a comment during the week around the Patriots and, and their draft. They didn't do enough to help Mac Jones, but yet mm-hmm. they, they drafted two offensive line in the third round. That's helping Mac Jones because if he doesn't have seven seconds to see what's going on around the field, you know, it doesn't matter what world receivers or tight ends he has out there, in, you know, looking for the ball. So, yeah, offensive line, it's it's key. Um, just moving on to last week's draft, and this is going to be a bit of everything rolled into this question. So they traded the Andre Swift for a very the, the deal in fairness wasn't wasn't exposed for them. They got someone quoted a bag of balls was returned for the Andre Swift. For me, that personally it looks to me that the Lions have recognised that his injuries are a concern to move him on at the at the rate in terms of what they got back. It to me it sounds like they've been had some kind of medical report back this off season that he just can't stay on the field. You're not gonna get seventeen games out of him. You're better off trying to address that and he addressed it in the fourth round with, with games at 12 obviously you haven't traded down from six and that's a mixed opinion because people feel there's a bit of a reach there people feel outside of B. John Robinson Gibbs isn't at that level it's too high it's too high selection to take him and then you lose Jamal Williams to the Saints who had a fantastic season your overall consensus of where this running back situation is like are you happy with the Gibbs pick he looks explosive it's the right pick would you have preferred him to get him at 18 and Try to take some in a 12, and then the DeAndre Swift, what's your thoughts on that trade? Yeah, so I think it's easy after the draft to talk yourself into all the moves that you make as a team. So I don't want this to come across as just I'm kind of jumping on the bandwagon. I really like Gibbs as a player, and um, I think we can... I'm not going to sit here and ignore the fact that we took some lower-value positions 
early in the draft, which in general I don't think is a good strategy overall. Now, doing it as a one-off, and I think we drafted really nicely the last couple of years and mostly focused on the trenches and important positions, is fine, but it does add pressure that you need to hit on these guys. If you were saying you were going to take Jam- um, Jameer Gibbs over Bijan Robinson, then you better hope he's going to really show up um, because it's very easy to look at that running back room now and say, is Jameer Gibbs and, and David Montgomery a step up from Jamal Williams and DeAndre Swift? Now, to me, it is because Gibbs as a player, I think, is fascinating but super explosive and has a lot of traits which can this line can really take advantage of. One of the big differences I think um, Lions fans will have when it comes to the perception of DeAndre Swift is if you see him as a fancy player, he would always do incredible things and you see him pop up on red zone making brilliant plays. But he was a really frustrating player to watch on an every down basis because yes, there were those flashes, but also some of the decisions he made from a vision standpoint, making the right call, trying to hit the hole, it just wasn't there. And I think when you actually, Hard Knocks is a really good example of this. And I saw he came out yesterday, I think it said he was frustrated how he's portrayed. But Hard Knocks, 80% of it is very much just generic NFL, people running into each other, here are the storylines. And you pick up these little things as you go through. And I did think it was interesting, not only that they highlighted um, Dustaley, our running backs coach, kind of getting on Swift and saying, you can be like the guy in the league, but you need to have that dog in you. So kind of questioning that but the thing which really stood out to me was you'd see the the cameras in meeting rooms and he he had um kind of recovery packs ice packs on his leg the entire time he was constantly doing recovery work he was constantly just when you follow the beat writers he was on a snap count in training camp and i'm there like if you're in your third year and you need to be on a snap count in training camp to stay healthy and it still isn't enough that is such a huge flag to me. So from my standpoint, I was very much out on him getting a second contract here. And as a result, I agree, it wasn't a huge return. But actually, Lions fans were pretty happy with that because I don't think anyone really saw a future here. And at the same time, if he stays healthy in Philly, he can be uh, he can genuinely be a Super Bowl winner for them, playing that kind of role. And if he does go down with injuries, I don't think it hurts them to the same extent it did us in our first two years where he was such an important part of our offense I think for the Eagles it's a case of see what they get out of them this year and then they make a decision for, for the future there's no commitments here and they're fortunate that they have got a backfield and I think it's a three-headed monster I know yeah. Miles Sanders has moved up but effectively he's going to take on the Miles Sanders role and it'll be a mixed a mixed number across with I suppose a, a carry carry low which may be greatly reduced depending on how successful the Eagles season has been yeah I don't disagree with and you're saying there, I read last week, and it's not relevant to the Lions, but he said that one of the teams were out on Anthony Richardson because the medical report was he has toy hamstrings. And that's going to that's gonna come back to haunt the team, and obviously it's close I've taken. Like, this is the level of detail that we're reading about now as to why teams stepped away from a player. And it's it's relevant to what you're saying there. If if the Lions are seeing this guy, you know, with toy hamstrings and ice packs throughout the course of his three years, and they're going into a season where they're, Right now, the favourites to win the division. Are we going to get 17 games or 10 to 12 games? Though? Probably, arguably not. The Jamal Williams one, for me, was... it was just, I, I understood why he was he was gone, because it was his opportunity to get paid. And, you know, he come from Green Bay, where he wasn't the number one running back. And you could argue he wasn't supposed to be the number one running back with the Lions. So I, I get why that was. But the production level, for me, is the concern. Like, where Who's going to step in and... and are we expecting Gibbs and Measley to step in and take take on that mantle and be in a position where he's in, in, 
an alternate back in terms of he's on the field for three for each for three downs per, per drive. Yeah, and, and this is where so again, I really like Gibbs as a player, but actually his red zone effectiveness wasn't very high. And I, I don't think he's a guy you're really expecting to line up at the one yard line and, and run in the A gap and then force his way in for a touchdown. So that's where David Montgomery comes in. Um and I, I would say do I think Montgomery is a better running back than Jamal Williams? I do. I think it's pretty close, but I think the upside is probably there for Williams more. Um, obviously broke the touchdown record last year for the franchise. A lot of them were one and two yard runs. So again, it's slightly uh, misleading to an extent, but I think Williams was so much more what he than what he did on the field. He, he was such a big presence in that locker room. He Again, another player that you just can't help but root for. So I think when you when you see how this is all played out and the fact he got, I think it's three years for 12 million, Montgomery got three years for 18 million. Um, I struggled to sit there and say, I'd much rather have Montgomery at 6 million a year than Williams at 4 million a year. Um, real, realistically, I don't know what happened behind the scenes. The feeling I get is probably Williams was hoping for more than the 4 million and the Lions then went in the direction of, we're not going to pay maybe 6 million for you, but we will for Montgomery. So let's go get someone now. And then Williams, unfortunately, had to almost settle for that elsewhere. That's more a gut feel than anything. Um, but I struggle to believe that this front office wouldn't have given him three for 12 if they were willing to give Montgomery three for 18. No, I agree with you on that front. As a Giants fan, I listened to all the various teams that go over the Giants. Like Saquon Barkley look, overestimated himself, looked for 70 million, refused a 13 million offer from the Giants during the season around the bye week. And then and now we're down at the t- 10 mark because yeah. the Giants have recognized that the, the running back market is gone. And so these guys have taken a bet on themselves and it hasn't played out. There's just an, an unfortunate time. Um, I was going to touch on Marvin Jones returning um, and DJ Chalk obviously goes to the Panthers. Do you see that as a bit of a lift and shift type scenario? Because Marvin Jones was quite productive the, the first time around in Detroit. Yeah, I, I, so Chark to me is, is a better player at where they are now in their career. I mean, Marvin Jones... Every Lions fan loves him. He did such an incredible job when he was here first time around. Um, again, a, a guy who was pretty underrated, I would say, throughout the league versus what he was doing. But he is on the older side now, and I think he's very much brought in as more of a depth piece to take reps um, when guys go down. Obviously, we've seen what's happened with Jameson Williams missing the first six weeks, but I don't think they're expecting him to to go and get 60, 70 catches this year. Whereas if Chark was healthy for 17 games, you would want that of him realistically. So Chark is a more dangerous player. Um, I do get the impression that, again, they had the, the injury concerns, and we saw them last year. Chark, he didn't play the whole year um, for us. So um, I don't think it's so much like for like. I think they're similar style players, but you aren't bringing in Marvin Jones to fill the role that you were hoping DJ Chark would fill. But he is probably a slightly kind of safer player to just drop in for reps as we see injuries and and sadly suspensions come up. We had Adam Rank on the show a couple of weeks ago during our night show, and yeah. as a, he's a Bears fan, so he might have been slightly biased, but he said David Montgomery is by far a better running back than Jamal Williams. I will have anybody tell me otherwise. Yeah. So he goes, he's delighted to see him, you know, get recognised and get the, get the money from the Niners because he wouldn't have got it in Chicago. And he expects him to have a really productive season. So I think you've hit the nail on the head there in terms of expectations for that player as opposed to Jamal Williams moving on. And the last segment, I just want to discuss the draft because we touched on it there briefly around games, but obviously you had the 18 pick. Pat McAfee refers to Jack Campbell as a dog and for all the right reasons, you know, in terms of his play. Um, happy with that selection again. 
the difficulty with this time of year is we'll see players in the third round come the new season that are hitting the ground running. We'll see players in the fourth round that aren't as productive as teams had hoped. It's 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 hard to know at this stage. But there was again a bit of question around whether he should have been selection eighteen. Your initial thoughts on that one? Yeah. So I guess my initial thoughts again were surprise, and that's one that for me is is higher than I would want to take a linebacker personally. Now, if we talk about the player. I think Campbell's was underrated during this process, and I'm not entirely sure why. I think a lot of the linebackers in this class were your more traditional, uh, not traditional, but more new age, kind of 230-pound will linebackers, um, which wasn't as much of a need for this team. Anzalone can play both positions, but Malcolm Rodriguez from last year is definitely more of a, a will than anything. So um, Campbell is a great fit for us. And He's a guy that if you looked at the scouting reports early, and I remember raving on our podcast about a month ago, why I didn't understand was everyone was telling me he's got incredible intangibles. He's got a brilliant technical skill set in terms of his reads, but also how he plays, plays the run, plays in zone coverage. And most of the questions were him were around upside. And a lot of that came back to athletic upside. And then you look at his relative athletic score and he's one of the most athletic linebackers to ever play the position. So... Um, whilst I'm not expecting him to turn into Luke Keekley, which seemingly some people are, just because he trains with him, I think the upside is there for him to be a fantastic linebacker. And actually, if you look at his athletic profile compared to someone like a Fred Warner, they're actually pretty similar in terms of um, 40 time, for example. So when you talk about Campbell not having range and Fred Warner being one of the most rangy linebackers in the league, I just don't necessarily see that. So Whilst I would not have taken him at this position because I didn't think or I wasn't expecting us to overinvest in the linebacker position, I think he can be a really good player. Again, it's one where you really need to hit. You can't afford to take a linebacker here with that level of confidence and not have at least a solid starter. And I think that starts, if not day one, certainly year one. We need to see a contribution of him in the middle of our defense, especially by by the end of the season and then hopefully as we start to approach the playoffs. One uh, selection that really excited me is tight end Sam Laporte because obviously, again, I was listening to a lot of draft mock-ups and leading into draft and some people saw, saw him as a, a player that was on the, on the up, you know, he was rising up up the, up the bars and Michael Mayer seemed to be the obvious when he falls down, you know, he got, like, he was supposed to be the number one standing up tight end, he then falls to be the, the tour on the back of Laporte going second and then obviously the Raiders move up to get Mayer but Saw a lot of footage of the party. He looks like a player that could fit in because I think back to when Hawkinson got traded and, and you see Brock Reich come in and he, you know, again, another up and coming player from coming down Notre Dame and he, he steps up quite well and you can see his growth is emerging. And now you bring in another tight end, potentially compliment, who looks like you look at him, you look at his, his coverage and he looks as arguably as good as a wide receiver at times and another kind of player to put into a really aggressive offense already. Yeah, what this coaching staff has always preached is finding mismatches. And I think when you actually dig into Laporta, again, brilliant athletic profile, uh, remarkably similar to George Kittle, but let's not talk about that. Um, but he he puts DBs in a blender. And you were expecting your tight end to win matchups against linebackers and potentially a kind of stiff safety. But some of the routes he's running, especially in his early release packages, are really, really impressive. And he does have that level of twitch that you maybe don't expect. So again, he's a player where I think the upside is definitely there. Now, the appetite to block is definitely there. The technique isn't. And that will be a big step in his success as to whether he can take that step forward. Where TJ Hawkinson fell down, uh, no pun intended because he could never seem to keep his feet, 
was that he came out of the draft seemingly as this high upside pass catcher, but a really strong uh, blocker already. And we never saw that materialize. So with Laporta, he doesn't have that same level of expectation. But if you look at the top guys in the league, whether it is Kittel or Kelsey, yes, they can do all their damage in the pass game, but they're also mauling guys in the run game. And especially someone like Kelsey, very underrated as a pass blocker as well. So they need to do it all. Now, Laporta, realistically, he's not going to turn into those guys, but he does definitely have the, the profile that if he puts it together, he can definitely be a top five receiving tight end um, and can be a real threat. And when you think about how they built this team with the speed of Gibbs, the speed of Jameson Williams, Amon Ra working underneath, suddenly you've got, you're asking your underneath defenders, especially a man to do a lot to cover Amon Ra and stop him getting open, but also then Laporta, where you see some of the things he can do in the first five yards of his route. So um, yeah, again, uh, a high upside pick for someone they're expecting to contribute, especially in the passing game straight away. Yeah, absolutely. I would expect to come September, you be hearing his name quite a bit throughout the course of watching Lions games. Last one around the draft before I ask for expectations next season, um, Hendon Hooker. It's a project. Um, some people don't believe it's a project. Some people are putting it down to the fact that he had a serious injury last year with Tennessee and if it wasn't for that, he would have been a lot higher in the draft. And again, this is kind of the beauty of every draft. We saw Malik Willis last year suggested as a first round pick goes in the tour. Similar enough for Hendon Hooker this year. Are you happy with that? Do you think that one makes a lot of sense? Because... You know, if, if Jared Goff continues to play at the level we saw towards the back end of last year, everything is fine. But this gives a quarterback that potentially could have been a first-round pick if it wasn't for the injury enough time to recognize what is, what's involved to be an NFL quarterback. Yeah, and I think people have really strong views on this either way. And I, I sit very much in the middle. The reason being, I think it's important to invest in that backup quarterback position. It's something the Lions haven't done for a long time. Um, I, I think our last quarterback, I want to say, was maybe Jake Rudolph or someone, but a six-round pick, and we're talking five years ago. Um, but it's worthwhile investing in these players at this kind of position in the draft. Would I have been happy if we'd taken them at 34? No, um, because I'm probably somewhere in the middle on Hooker as a prospect in general. But again, I, I don't think... I think if you do that there, you're asking him to be the future of the franchise, a bit like what you saw with Will Levis. And Malik Willis is a great example because... The Titans took him at what seemed like good value last year. And to be honest, they've seen enough to say, we don't believe he's going to be the future. We're going to go get Will Levis. And I think when you you make a pick in the third round on a quarterback, you're quite clearly saying to that player and also the rest of the organization, so Jared Goff, for example, but also others, we're going to work on this player, but we have not over-invested that we cannot go and get another guy next year if needs be. Um, so let's say hypothetically Goff struggles this year and we have same questions as has happened in the past. Hooker obviously has been unhealthy at the start of the year, but we haven't seen anything of him. And the Lions were aggressive to go and get a guy next year. You can still go do that. I think if you take him obviously in the first round, but also really at, at 34 or someone like that, that for me is too much of an investment. Now, if he turns out to be a player in the kind of Teddy Bridgewater mold, which is he's he could start for an NFL team, but he's probably a below-average starter, but he's a brilliant backup. That's a really good place to be for a team that wants to compete. So um, I think it's a, it's a good investment of a third-rounder. I don't expect him to be the future of the franchise. I'll be delightfully surprised if that happens to be the case. Um, but it gives him the time to to learn uh, behind Goff, to get healthy, um, and yeah, hopefully provide that depth as a backup. And, and potentially if Goff walks in two years because we don't want to pay him $45 million a year, we've at least got then a bit of a bridge before we find someone else. Yeah, I think you've made a very good point. 
short round level of expectation from the fan group will be quite slightly less if it was to be a top end second round pick or even uh, one of the one of the additional uh, one of the picks were in the first round. Last question because I I was looking at the the betting odds uh, for for each division uh, ahead of the new season. I know everything can change, and like I still seem to be players selected and picked up, you know, throughout the course of the summer on all teams that will players that will get released that we didn't expect because there's always something going on in terms of camps in June and July. But right now the Lions are sitting as the favourites to win the division next year. I don't see it as a huge surprise because I don't know what, what we're going to get from the Vikings despite last year's good season. Obviously they had a difficult last in the wildcard game. Packers seem to be a bit hit and miss at the moment as people feel that the Bears are emerging after a difficult few years and Justin Fields is an enigma. People have good thoughts on him and bad thoughts. So, do you do you, do you agree that the Lions should be the favourites? Do you think the level of expectation will weigh on this team, or do you think it's a case of Dan Campbell has been in a position where ignore the noise, ignore the level of expectation for the team, we'll just carry on and do what we're doing? And um, one touch point is we had Scott Daly, the long long snapper on last year. Yeah. And one point he made during the interview was, we don't know anything that's discussed around the Lions inside. He keeps it very much in house, in focus on the team. Whatever you hear, just dismiss it. So. Are you surprised at the favourites? And do you see, do you see does it doesn't really matter at this stage? Yeah, I mean, it, it's so funny. If we think back to halfway through last season, everyone was saying the Lions are getting the number one pick in uh, the 2023 draft. And then we're NFC contenders after free agency. And then after the draft, everyone's saying same old Lions, throwing it all away with all that draft capital. So it's very much up in the air. The, the irony being, I'd say the Lions deserve to be favourites in the division. And... Uh, hilariously almost that's because we're probably the most stable you know what you're going to get out of the four nfc north teams right now we obviously saw the back end of last year we've seen some of the influx of talent and if you look at the packers and vikings i think they're being slightly underestimated because we really don't know what we're going to get and if the packers won three games would i be surprised next year maybe not if they won 10 games i don't think i'd be that surprised because we haven't really seen anything of jordan and with the vikings kirk cousins for all his his flaws is still a good starting quarterback. They've still got, in my opinion, the best receiver in the league, maybe outside of Jamar Chase, and they still have a lot of talent. So it's really hard to see kind of where those two teams are going to go. Um, the Bears, I think, are probably a step behind, but they are probably where the Lions were this time last year, obviously with an exciting young quarterback. So the Lions, I think, if you look at the four rosters, are the team where you feel most confident, you know the direction they're heading in. And to your point around whether that expectation will weigh on them, it will be a really good test of what Dan Campbell has built from a coaching star standpoint. Because you mentioned some of the aggressiveness earlier in the podcast. We saw that in the Packers game where they basically were just going to say, we're going to go for it on fourth down and we're going to win this game right now. Do you still do that when you've got, I don't know, a playoff game on the line? or you've got a really critical game which you're expected to win on the line. It's one thing when you've got nothing to play for, which they did know going into that Packers game, but we need to see that same thing. Do I think Dan Campbell and the the coaching staff will make those same calls? Yes. Will we execute them? That's a huge question mark. And I'm not saying we won't. I, I, I think there's a good chance we will. But that is really the test to me is that is this team ready to kind of get a playoff spot, win a playoff game, and potentially become contenders in the next couple of years? That is the test. And why personally, I think that loss against the Panthers last year, which really cost us the playoff spot, was a great learning experience because it meant we did go into that Packers game in prime time in their back garden with almost the pressure lifted. And now the confidence that we can go and do that. I would wonder if we went in there knowing that if we win, 
we will get in the playoffs, would everything have gone the same way? So I think actually, although I would have loved us to be in the playoffs, the way it played out last year was potentially really beneficial to this team moving forward. Yeah, I recall that sweet play at the end of the Packers game, which just says he put the game away. And a lot of fans said, would they have done that if the game was on the line and there was a playoff position where players freeze up during the game? Would there be a kind of a freedom to go out and express themselves? It would be very different. But all will be revealed come the new season. And me personally, I hope that the Lions are as enjoyable as they were last season. Tom, the podcast itself, he's, uh, he's do a couple of during the week. Do you want to give some information out to fans this side, you know, in terms of Ireland, who are Lions fans that want to get involved in, in listening to the podcast? Yeah, absolutely. So, Raw of the Lions UK, um, UK-based podcast, but we have uh, weekly podcasts. We have our, our weekly podcast just reviewing the Lions in general. We also have college football-specific podcasts um, as well to give you more in-depth uh, reviews on on what's going on in college football and some of the players you'll start seeing the league. So you can find us on on Twitter, on Instagram, on YouTube. We've just got over a thousand subscribers, so you're going to start seeing more and more content there. But uh, do give us a follow and obviously um, engage with us on on social media as well. Brilliant. Tom Wilkinson, I've really enjoyed your company today and hopefully the Lions have a really successful season. And we have you back on nearer the new season when we get into training camp and obviously the, the preseason games. Tom's for now, really appreciate your time today. Appreciate it. Thanks.